Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Before we get into our episode, I just want to take a moment and thank our PGA Week sponsor, Greater Than. I have uh, been drinking Greater Than for a number of years. It's it's really good stuff. I I drank it before I started the Fried Egg, and I'm really happy to be partnered up with these guys. It's uh, it's a healthier version of your sports drink, so your Gatorades, your Powerades. Got twice the electrolytes, half the sugars, and uh, it, it supports a, a, a small business. So you got to like that. You can get greater than at drinkgt.com. And if you use the promo code FRIEDEGG20, no spaces, you'll get 20% off your order. It equates to like $5 off a sample pack where you get to try out all four flavors. So highly recommend that. It's drinkgt.com and promo code FRIEDEGG20. For this PGA recap, I wanted to do something a little bit different. Obviously, you can uh, always check out the Shotgun Start to get your golf news and updates fixed. And Brendan and I did a expansive uh, recap on the PGA there. So I had Blake Conant on, who you might remember from the Aiken podcast. Blake is a uh, young architect. He he works uh, as a shaper for uh, Tom Doak and Renaissance Golf and. He was texting me during the coverage, so I figured I'd have him on. We talked a lot about course setup and challenging the pros and, you know, kind of how, how Beth Page was presented and, you know, the leaderboard that came of it. So thanks for Blake for coming on. And uh, without further ado, here he is. I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. So uh, what what have you been up to, Blake? Been uh, been a couple months since we talked uh, a little bit about Aiken. Yeah, it has. Um, I've been traveling back and forth to Houston and uh, helping out with Tom's project there at Memorial Park. Um, gone and helped on a couple other projects in uh, Renaissance's. With, with Brian Schneider and Eric Iverson up in Long Island and up in Washington Golf, um, wrapping up those two things. Washington just got hammered with rain, so the project is like extended over into the spring. Um, but it's coming together nicely. That's a cool little a cool little thing, and it sort of informed some work in Houston. Um, so it was good to go back and see it. So yeah, yeah that's what I've been up to it. I was out there too uh, in the spring. It's a cool place. It's a, that the the property is crazy. It's nuts. It, it, I, I don't understand how they fit eighteen holes on that clubhouse side of the property. You know what I mean? Um, and then they added the forty acres that Flynn routed five or six holes that actually have enough room, and those feel great. But the topography is wild. Yeah, it's it's nuts. So uh, you've been you've been off a little. You uh, you caught a lot of the PGA this last week. Huh? I did. I had, you know, the, the great thing is when you're not working, you're, you're not working at all. Um, so 
I had plenty of time to watch the uh, the PGA and just get into it. Girlfriend's a fiance now is at work, so yeah. Oh, congrats, congratulations, fiance. Yeah, that also happens when you're not working. You can propose to your to your girlfriend, so that's great. <laughs> that's that's awesome. That's uh now you, now you get a now you get a wedding plan. Yeah, exactly. No, the Google Google Docs have already started rolling in, so <laughs> we're we're dealing with that. It's, a, it's your new part time <laughs> job. So, um, what did yeah. you, what you, uh, what were your, what were your big takeaways from uh, the weekend? Um, you know, honestly, it was it was a bit boring, um, and the the first day sort of captured everybody because it's. Tiger and Brooks going off in the morning. I had, they were the featured group in the morning and I was having, watching them on my PGA uh, app on the TV. So it was great. And then it's just, I think Brooks just posted a number and everybody tried to get it the afternoon. That That's Thursday morning they went off, right? Yeah. Yeah. He just, he just kind of, yeah, right? he kind of just rushed the field, you know, blitzed them. Yeah. And then it's, it sort of went downhill from there. I mean, there wasn't really much drama to be had until DJ and Brooks almost got tied on the back nine on Sunday. Um, yeah, it, it, it was, was sort of depressing <laughs> watching Jim Nance and Nick Baldo try to create drama. Yeah, it was the. I think that I when I talked to Jeff Ogilvy before leading up to the championship, he kind of laid it out. Um, you know, you're going to see a long-hitting, high-ball hitter win just because that's the way Beth Page is, you know, somebody who executes well and hits it far and high. And I think, you know, given how much rain they had up in the Northeast, it, it played even more into the Bombers' hands in the sense that the rough was just unbelievably thick. Yeah, I mean, that, you could tell that right away. And they kept they kept mentioning that throughout Brooks' round of how he had said, I only have to beat a third of the field or something. And he's probably referencing that of, well, Francisco Molinari as good as he might be playing has no chance. So he's probably not even worried about Molinari this week. Yeah. It was, everybody was talking about Tiger in the lead up. And uh, because obviously his success at Beth page um, winning in 2012 or 2002 and, and it, it, it's just like, you know, that was such a different Tiger Woods than what we see today, where, you know, he was he was kind of the Brooks Kepka then where he had a, you know, a physical and and huge length advantage over everybody in the field. But but now he's kind of like the crafty veteran who 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 gets it around. And, and I think that's that's one of the reasons I, I wanted to talk with you is, that, you know, just from an architecture standpoint, setup standpoint, I thought. You know the the championship, and and this is one of the things I think is is it's okay to have a championship like this. I think that the important thing is to understand that that if we have a setup like this, that this is what is going to happen more often than not, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I was getting so tired of listening on eighteen of guys hoping the ball gets in the bunker. It just it becomes nauseating at some point. Um, those bunkers are all, they're sort of the hallmark of the course and they're supposed to be fierce. And, you know, it, it, it doesn't even, it, it just gets frustrating after a while. Um, 
you narrow up the fairways, you grow the rough up, then guys want to get in the bunkers, the most iconic thing about Beth Page in the first place. Um, it, it, it's, that, you're right. That's exactly what you're going to get. So if you're fine with that, then then keep running your tournaments that way. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting, and and obviously, I know uh, the next event will be at at Beth or at um at Pebble, and you know you're gonna we're gonna see much of the same, but a much shorter golf course. Um, you know from from your standpoint, from an architecture standpoint, you know these are two classic golf courses. You know what would you say they were being when you narrow the rough? What are we losing? from a from a standpoint of a viewer and is there what are are we gain what are we gaining mm. uh, you know i think what you're losing obviously is different ways to play holes like six at that page is a great example of fairways way too narrow um to take advantage of some of the angles that are created there um so you you are ones the same way. It's like you end up with allowing guys to get out of position, but then still have a recovery. You know, part of that's predicated on having interesting greens and in positions, which I don't think that page has as much as Pebble. Um, so it's you know, if if you're in the rough at that page, it's you're not really the greens aren't um, asking you to be on one side of the fairway or or the other oftentimes. Yeah, um, I'd agree with that. So you're 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 losing some of that. Um, and then what was the second part of your question? And uh, you know, it, what do you do? You think we're gaining anything with the narrow fairways? Is there you know a way to play? You know, I'm obviously a, a width advocate. You know, I don't think anybody doesn't think that, but I'm I'm curious from a devil's advocate standpoint. Do you think there's any anything that you know the the general public gains from having the narrow fairways, thick rough? The general public, I I don't I don't think so. I mean, I understand it if if you're a club on a tight budget and you've got you've got to worry about dollars, but you know, for a tournament like this, it's you're, you're making a conscious decision. Just assume that the well will never go dry. Um, so they're, they're doing that for a reason. Um, you know, the, the one, if I, if I had to play devil's advocate, the one thing I, I think they think it tests is if you're going to take on the risky play, it's, you're going to have to hit it straight and you're going to have to hit a great shot. Um, or you can lay back and it'll, you know, and then you've got more options. You're just further away. But they really like to test these guys. They're just putting the onus on them. Um, I think there's different ways to test a good player. But if that's the way they want to go about it, then you're going to see more venues like Beth Page or. Um... So yeah, I mean, it's it's just how do you want to challenge these guys, and that's the way they've chosen to challenge them, and. I don't necessarily agree that it's the best challenge, but um, it's certainly the consistent challenge. You know what I mean? I find it kind of fascinating because to me, what Beth Page did with it, when you're making, when the fairways are, I think on average, they were 26 yards wide. 
you know, you're yeah. the the average tour pro, say it's three hundred yards, their their dispersion from, you know, right to left miss is about seventy yards, right? And uh and if you lay back with a three iron, you know, your chances of hitting the fairway are, are only marginally better because of how narrow it is, right? Yeah. And and then you're leaving a really long approach into a green. A lot of those greens are elevated with with fronting hazards. So you're hitting you know long irons in. There's there was really no reason to lay back. You know it, there was, uh, and I think Brooks you know took full advantage of that. I mean that's what we saw. we saw Brooks hit driver almost everywhere, and you know. And then he, when he missed the fairway, he was fine because he, he was hitting the high lofted clubs into the greens that require an aerial approach. And he's, you know, the one thing you can't take away is his strength was clearly an advantage with this type of setup. Yeah, absolutely. Even even when he found himself in trouble, he's strong enough to get it out of that rough. Um, you know, I think of uh, HB3 with his, with his shot on the last day that just went 45 degrees left. And and I, I think Brooks was over there maybe Friday, and it could have very well been a different lie, but it was in the same sort of stuff, and he's just strong enough to muscle it out. Um, you know, and I think about six, too, when you say there's no advantage to lay up. That's a perfect example of they were asking guys to be really precise, even for their layup, um, or even for, even for yeah, uh, clubbing down. Um, where if you just open up a little fairway to the right and make it 30 or 35 yards wide, it gives guys more incentive to lay back um, and not take on that risk, which, you know, like, like you said, if you're, if you're going to force their hand, then they're always going to take the longer club. Yeah. Did you watch a lot of uh, the open, the U S open at Aaron Hills when it was there? You know, I don't, know if i did i think i was working i can't what was that two years ago mm-hmm. yeah two years ago 2017 yeah. it was uh hey have you been out there though i haven't been out to aaron hill no um all i know is tom talked about it i think tom did a routing out there and said it was a great piece of land um so that's about as much as i know about it other than what i saw on tv it's uh, i've been looking into stuff and i've trying to write a little bit of an article, but I don't know if it'll ever, uh, ever come to fruition as, you know, writing happens a lot of times, but the, um, it's, I find all these compelling parallels with Aaron Hills and Beth page, but like a, a starkly different setup, right? You know, Brooks won both of those titles shooting 272, And, um, you know, both of them, I think the general golf world had like the same takeaway from it is like, well, Brooks just overpowered the golf course, you know, and the, mm. the big difference was, you know, Aaron Hills, we saw 40, 50, 60 yard wide fairways and Beth page. We saw, we saw 26 yard fair, wide fairways. Right. Right. And, uh, and, and what we saw at Beth page, or, you know, Beth page, nobody really had a shot except for DJ in the, in the fleeting moments, but DJ is the same style player as Brooks, right? So, but then you look at, you look at Aaron Hills and, and there were, you know, Sunday going into Sunday, it was, you know, long setup and a ton of guys 
had a shot. And, you know, including the likes, you know, you had Brian Harmon, you had Hideki, Tommy Fleetwood, Bill Haas, you know, Charlie Hoffman, as well as, you know, Fowler and JT. You know, you had a wide range of guys in that mix. And I, I thought it was an interesting parallel because that was not uh, the Brooks, you know, finished seventh on the week in driving distance, fourth in driving accuracy and first in greens and regulation. Like he clearly just struck the ball beautifully. But then, you know, you got Brian Harmon finishing runner up and he's 52nd in driving distance. And I just thought it was an interesting difference is like you weren't seeing any short hitters thrive at at Beth Page. And I think that the, those narrow fairways is counterintuitive just like golf where the narrow fairways just took them out of it. Yeah. And and so are you saying I, I suppose I'm curious what you think the the difference is. Do you think it's only the the width of the fairways or is that the biggest aspect of it that sort of made it more of a well rounded field on Sunday at Aaron Hills compared to Beth Page? Well, so it's it's a huge ballpark, right? So it was like I think it was seventy seven hundred yards. Beth Page was seventy four. Um it, you know, a lot of similarities. They both had they had rain. Um, I think the big difference was Beth Page got that wind on Sunday, but Aaron Hills never got really the wind that they expected. But but the yep. thing about it is like so. Brian, say take Ches Reevy, who was who was in the mix. He had a bad last day there. He was he hit ninety one percent of the fairways. He's one of the shortest hitters on tour. So he hit ninety one percent of the fairways at at Aaron Hills. And like that's a skill that was allowed to thrive, and and from the fairway, these shorter guys can can compete because they can hit long irons close. That's why that's why they're making a living out there, right? But if you if these guys, you know, and they're say they're dispersion sixty yards, right? The shorter hitters, yeah, they can't hit they can't hit ninety percent of fairways at at a at a Beth Page. No, that would, um, but and you can't you, know, also, you can't hit those four know, irons from the rough though, you know. Right, it's it's the four irons from the rough, and then it's um, it's also the uh, the fact that those fairways are wide. Still, you, you may be in the fairway, but you're on the totally wrong side of the fairway, and you've got to pull off an incredible shot, or you have to know where to miss on the green and just. Except the fact that, yeah, I, I hit another fairway, but I have no shot at, at taking on this green. And I have to completely play away from the pin. And I imagine a player like Brian Harmon is really good at that. I think one of the things that Brooks Kepka is really underrated at is knowing where to miss. Mm-hmm. Um, the guy just very rarely short sides himself. And he is so, he's so aggressive when he needs to be. And, never when he has to be and he never feels outside pressure um it's almost like he's he knows where all 72 pin positions are going to be and he's mapped out where every miss is for every day and he just goes about his business um and i just i don't think there are many guys in the world who are capable of having that kind of um restriction and, and confidence in their game and restraint but, so I, I think you've got to give him some credit too where 
it probably worked out that way both at Aaron Hills and at Bethpage this last week. Oh, definitely. And, and and this is this conversation's no slight whatsoever. I mean, I think he's the best player in the world. And, no, no. And obviously with like, you know, uh with with hit with power players that are always have the ability to be the most dominant players in the in the world, and there's a reason why the greatest players of all time have all been power players is cuz like you know, most skills in golf are very have a high variance. Like, you know, day to day, you don't know what's going to come when you walk to the golf course. But if you have power, that's coming with you every day, you know. So if you are able to master all the other skills, you know, and you have power, you're going to be better than the guy that masters all the skills and doesn't have power. Yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just teaching those guys with power to – to not always lean on that, you know, um, and maybe it takes those guys a, a, a lot of time to learn, and the really good ones learn it quickly. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's it's a fascinating uh, thing with with Kepka, just because like I think he's he's the first player we've seen since Tiger that really has like where you look at his game and you're like he's he doesn't have any glaring deficiencies. Right. You know, Jason Day had a great run, but you always were like, well, he gets a little squirrely with the driver. His iron game isn't that great, but he's, you know, wonderful around the green speed. You know, he didn't have the power. Um, you know, he doesn't have the power. And then you got like Rory. You're always wondering if, if the putter is going to show up, whereas like, you know, Kepka, that's that's his strength. I mean, and that's it's why it's not surprising that we've seen him win at so many different types of golf courses, whether it be Shinnecock. Aaron Hills, um, Beth Page, or Bell Reeve—you know the you know three distinctly different styles there. Yeah, very. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, and and I guess every one of them, what I think is underrated because rightfully so, what what gets all the headlines is Brooks overpowered the field, but I I really do think his ability to think around a golf course is underrated, and and maybe that's what a lot of golf courses that they play on tour are lacking. Is you're it's just the bomb and gouge. You don't really have to think about where to miss. Um, you don't you don't have to think about when to be aggressive or not to be aggressive. Those guys just hit it as far as they can, and those really good tests of golf always sort of bring out the thinkers you know what i mean yeah it's interesting how the how the major championships how they're so distinctly the leaderboard kind of separates differently and you see different guys on the leaderboards at majors than you would at your at your run-of-the-mill tour event now let's take a quick break to talk about our sponsors today's episode is powered by td ameritrade Whether on the course or in the market, it helps to have a second set of eyes to keep you on your game. That's why TD Ameritrade's Trade Desk is here to help gut check your strategies so you always feel confident teeing up a trade. Visit TD Ameritrade slash fried egg to learn more about what their Trade Desk can do for you. Member SIPC. Now back to Blake Conan. You know, kind of going on with thinking, like a lot of people say that angles don't really matter at the professional level. What what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I mean, I, I would 
tend to agree almost. They they just hit the ball so fucking high that it's you know if if you've got a green that's sloping away from them at one and a half percent, but they hit their four iron or five iron 130 feet high, they still have enough room to stop it. Um, and you can't get green so crazy that you've got something sloping away from the line of play at three percent just to combat this. 0.1% of good golfers. So, you know, at some point you can't, you can't design stuff to hurt everybody else or that vast majority of the field just to challenge that guy with, with angles that, you know, at, at the end of the day, they're, they're really, really good. Um, and if they pull off a, a good drive and a good high four iron to get to the green, they have a birdie putt, then, you know, congratulations. Um, and maybe that's, maybe that's what the PGA tour, why they grow the rough up so high. They've just been defeated for the past 20 years. They don't know how to challenge these guys anymore, but they know that rough works. And so that's, that's their sort of defeatist mentality. Um, you know, I'd, I'd be curious to see some, I'd be curious to see some sharper angles, something sharper than like 20 degrees, say, um, you know, if you started getting like a 30 or 40 degree angle, or I guess it would be like 120 or 130 degree angle if you look at it, something like 13 at Augusta, it is, that's when you're starting to get the angles that challenge those guys. Um, but just a slight dogleg is, isn't anything that they really think about, I don't think. That's an interesting thought because, like, I feel like most classic golf courses and classic design. You know, you saw very few sharp dog legs. Then they came in, in kind of vogue in in the sixties, seventies, that you saw a lot more dog tree line dog legs. And uh you know, the now I think we're going back towards that straighter golf design. Do you think, you know, if you were thinking about professionals that you know, it's just kind of modernizing those dog legs of, of yesteryear? modernizing the dog legs because like um, you know like point of woods for example um which was like the longtime host of the western am i i remember hearing that you know like they you know dustin johnson's out there he was played in one of the last ones there they're going back this year but you know he was just taking it over all the dog legs really yeah well and and i'm curious was the turning point of those dog legs based on Older distances, or, or is the turning point or the angle in which it turns more set up for a pro distance? There, I think. It, I think what it happened was it, it's a obviously it's a RTJ course, and it was set at a uh, a former pro length. Okay, so so then he has to take off the corner, or he has to club down to play it as the hole intended, basically. Yeah, and so he chose like, "Hey, I'm just going to launch it over the trees all week." <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, you know, what do you, what do you do for that? How do you? That's the cra the crazy question. Because then, like the the, I think that's where the tricky thing is with where kind of golf is going. Is like, okay, so dog legs work, right? But then, like, how do you design yep. a dogleg for for Brooks Kepka and your 18 handicap that plays on the weekend? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think the one thing you have to do is make sure the turning points are set for the majority of golfers. Now, whether it's a hinge turning point or whether it just gradually bends, um, you know, you, you can't start putting the turning points at 300 to make those guys think, because then you're going to end up with 90% of the golfers who can't make it around the corner and are stuck behind a bunker, stuck behind trees, have a bad angle to the green, you know, whatever. Um, I just think that that would be catering too much to the professional. Um, you know, and, and the one thing that that makes the pros do is, is get into the decision of something like uh, where Dustin Johnson, where you either have to club down and, yeah, you've got to turn over your five wood or you have to try to bomb your driver over the trees. Um, is it is it TP, is it uh, Sawgrass that has the limb that overhangs one of the back tees to force the pro's trajectory down? Is that it, Sawgrass? I don't know. I don't think they have. I, I'm not sure. I don't think they have one there. If if they did, it would be one of those holes on the back nine, right? Yeah, well, yeah. And I didn't know it, it. Back nine sounds right, but you know what? The, that, kind of what you're talking about, I think, is one of the things this week Colonial does to a lot of guys. Like they they have those it, it, dog legs out there and. I know Rom has been playing them very, very aggressively, like, you know, going over. But for the most part, guys all play to the corners of the dog legs. And that's why you see, a, like, a really wide range of guys that win at Colonial. Interesting. Okay. Because um, then it comes down to who's playing the best golf this week, not who's just overpowering the field and having 50 yards closer to the pin every hole. Yeah. Do you, I mean, so, so obviously with the masters, you, we get, you know, at Augusta, we get a very strategic setup. Um, and the open for the most part, we get one as well. You know, do you, th- do you think there's, you know, like everything like golf architecture, there's, it's great to have variety within the design. Do you think, do you think having variety in the championship setups is good? Or do you, do you feel like, you know, the setups should be in a manner which anybody can win? Any style can win. Yeah, I mean, it, it should reward who plays the best golf, and that includes all facets of, of golf shots, right? Um, and clearly how to challenge those guys is a subjective argument. Um, I'm, I really love watching the Open Championship and Lynx Golf and watching guys have to think around a golf course. Uh, I like when the wind can suddenly shift and not everything is a manicured surface. You're you're having to go around and, and play a round of golf in the conditions that are presented to you that day. Um, you know, as far as the 25 yards of fairway straight up the gut with six inches of rough, you know, mown 15 yards off of the fairway. It, it just becomes so repetitive and grinding. It, you can tell it's a grind to play. It's a grind to watch. It's just not a very compelling, um, not a very compelling product, honestly. So I, I don't know if that goes into their thinking at all of 
uh, is it fun to watch or not? But <laughs> that's sort of that's how I felt at this year's PGA. See, one of the other things I thought about with it is the is the the surround of the green also played kind of into you know if it kind of played into like hitting it far and not worrying if it was in the rough because there was, you know, with all the rough around the greens, if you, as long as you hit it near the green, it was going to stop around the green, right? Yeah, there's that. Um, you know, I, I, Justin Rose off the back of four had a bitch of a time from behind the green, one of the only places where they had mown down short grass. Yeah, that was like the only hole where we saw, and and I mean that that was such a cool hole with that green running away on the uphill approach, and uh, and that's where we saw so many guys end up back there, and it rolls away. You know, it was like one of the few times we saw people the ball rolling away, and there is like a discernible difference between a great shot and a good shot. Yeah, totally, um, and not you know a lot of guys not willing to take. The most fun watching those guys who aren't willing to take their medicine when there's short grass around the greens. And, and that stuff is really compelling to watch when you have a guy get a little bit too greedy and then the ball comes right back to his feet because he didn't put enough on it. And instead, you know, four, if you're behind the green, just pitch it out to the middle of the green and leave yourself a 15-footer and take your par and call it good. Um and that's the stuff that Lakes Golf does so well, or the Open Championship, because there's always an abundance of short grass around the greens, and, you know, the ball can roll out a little further, the ball can get stopped on a funky little knob, uh, behind a funky little knob, you know, whatever. Um, just makes the recovery and the golf more interesting. Um, you know, the one thing I'll say, the one thing that Brooks has talked about in Houston, because he's, he's the one who's sort of like the PGA Tour consultant um, or the pro consultant down there. And I haven't spent time with him, but his ideas have been relayed down the wire. And he says they're challenged the most by awkward stances and rough around the green, or at least he is. Um, so I I think there's room for that. I think the problem it poses at Beth Page is there aren't really that many awkward stances you know if your ball's in the rough you usually have a pretty level lie or an uphill lie in the rough you know there aren't many places where you're totally sideways trying to pitch out but um that is the one thing that that he's talked about that does give them fit and and maybe it's a combination of you've got to you know 10 yards of short grass around the green to let the ball get away, but then it gets into rough and some awkward lies in the rough, and and that's a way to give those guys a little bit more of a challenge around the green. One of the things I always think about with with pros, and I I don't know if you have a good idea for this, but, like, my one of the things I, I always think about is, like, what makes a PGA, what makes most PGA Tour players, one of the things that's, like, is they're irrationally confident, you know? They're like a great, they're all almost for the most part, like great three point shooters in the NBA where it doesn't matter if they've missed the last 10, they like, you know, they're going to pull the trigger and they like with the same confidence every time. So something like that I think about a lot is the ability to kind of trick them. You can't trick the pros 
when they're in the rough because like they they get in the, they're in the rough and they get more cautious and and they're very they're actually extremely cautious players you know the best golfers are, are like you said with Brooks he's always missing in the right spots he's because he's yeah. he's cautious but if you're on short grass they they then go into they kind of flip into irrational confidence mode right yeah so like yep. that that to me is one area where I ha- I think Shinnecock did it well does that well where you know it it is terrifying but because they're in the fairway they they think they can hit any shot right Yeah just blindly believing that based on the cut of grass rather than thinking about the golf hole and the strategy of that golf hole Mhm and we we saw that too because like you know if you put water next to the green they're going to all play away from it all day long to the safe side but if if you right. put a bunker in contours like some of the holes at Shinnecock they're going to hit it into the bunker cuz they're going to get more aggressive because it's not water they don't and that green can run away and they could be in the a worse spot than if you hit it in the water almost and yeah, and they, you know, then they get frustrated because they can't, you know, hold a green or whatever from that bunker. Yeah, that's that's the problem. They're too <laughs> they're too quick to hate something without understanding the reason why and how. Um, and they've got a platform to speak up about it and cause change really quickly, which also frustrating from an architecture point of view where you'd rather have a discussion about you know the fact that it's challenging you is a good thing and here's why and here's you know here's what you've been given to play away from it you chose not to and you got suckered into playing over there sorry next time don't it was interesting i had that um i had the economist on ian fillmore who wasn't a golfer at all but he kind of he talked about the technology change and the new breed golfer and um and how he kind of believed it was on architects to make the next move but you know like you just kind of hit on like to a certain extent if the architects make a move and do something unique and different then there's there's backlash and in in some cases you know the changes get remade to it yeah, what's the course uh, Gil tried to do something on Boston. Uh, the 12th hole at EPC Boston? Yeah, um, it, it's a great example. And honestly, I think it, I think the locker room at PGA Tour events is probably like a middle school girl, girls locker room where one guy hates something and sees something and it spreads like wildfire until everybody's infected. And, you know, even though they may not have even seen it, they hate it. Um, and it's 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 just hard to it, it's hard to like you said introduce something new or, or try to challenge them in a different way than they're used to, and and have an open conversation about uh, why it's good or how it worked or did it not work and ultimately that's the problem with all subjective conversations. But um, there's there's got to be something that something that we can try. What uh have you watched uh any of the Trinity For- Forest uh coverage? Yeah, I watched a bit of it. Um 
yeah. Did, what 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 what's picking your mind about that place? I'm just. What did, what did you think of? Obviously, like I I feel the thing that always gets me is like par. I think is one of the big issues. Like, and everybody's like, oh, it's so easy out at Trinity Forest, but. I think we always see somebody like separate and, and that place really rewards great play, you know, and if you let go of scoring, you know, I, I don't know what, what, what are your thoughts on Trinity forest and scoring and, and what you saw from the stuff you watched out there? Yeah, I, I think it's tee to green. It's not a hard golf course. Um, but that is set up in a way where there's short grass around the green and that's the stuff that challenges those guys. You, you've got to have restraint to miss in the right spot. And even though the fairways are wide and you, you may have hit the fairway, you probably can't attack certain pins on certain days. Um, so that's what I, I really like about that challenge of the golf course. It's like you said that everybody gets up in arms because the winning score is 20 under, but, um, if the par is two less there or one less there, then it's suddenly 12 or 16 and nobody's complaining at all. Um, so I think Trinity forest is a, a, it's a really compelling golf course and you certainly got to think your way around it and know where to miss, which again, if you saw any of Brooks's coverage, he hardly ever missed in the wrong spot there either. Um, which gave himself a chance. What uh with with Trinity uh and par like do you ever think we're gonna get to the point where somebody just says hey this is a par sixty eight I hope so um I don't know if it would I I don't know who will do that who if there would be one PGA like a PGA tour event that says this is a par sixty eight. Yeah, like Trinity might be a perfect example. I think it's par 71. What if they just said, hey, we're going to be par 69, and the only par 5 next year is the uh, is the 14th, that like 600-yarder up the hill? Right. Yeah, that'd be great. I'd love to see that. Um, just to start, just to break the wheel a little bit, um, and I, you know, I don't know if any... I would think something like that would start it, you know, say a U.S. Women Senior Am. Um, and I don't know if any of those tournaments had ever been hosted as a par 68 or 69. Um, but that would be, a, you know, that would be a good place to test it out and bring it into uh, for, into further further tournaments. Um, I, I I have a hard time believing the PGA Tour would ever do it, but I I think it would be awesome to watch. Well, you think about it. So, like out at Trinity, one and uh, one and seven are par fives on the front nine, and uh, I looked at the numbers for seven, and you know, nobody nobody who hit a good drive wasn't going for it in two, and the same with uh, you know one guys are hitting you know short irons into it some t- some days, so it's like. You know, wasn't there, you know, some writing about back in the day about what a par five constitutes a par five? 
Um, I'm sure there was. What are you referring to? Something specific? No, and just in general, like it, it would be like you know three well struck golf shots, right? Would get you know. Yeah, it, yeah. It's like that's like the way to play it. So like if that's the if if we're applying this to the PGA Tour, you know, like shouldn't par apply to the PGA Tour differently than Joe Schmo golfer? Perhaps. Um... Aren't, aren't they like? Aren't they trying to not go down that road though? Because then isn't that a slippery slope towards any type of bifurcation talk? But that's the thing I always like think about is like they, you know, like Brooks Kepka couldn't be further. I mean, if you, if say the regular guy hits at two thirty, Brooks Kepka hits at three twenty. You know, how can you even compare them with the same, you know, par? Yeah, yeah, I, I get your point. I don't know. I, I it's 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 a it's a tricky situation because like I think that what technology's done is is it's gotten golf even further away from you know the greats and the average guy. Yeah, it's, uh, that's a whole. It's a. <laughs> It's a conversation that's not dissimilar from any like wealth equality conversation you have, which is totally not meant for this podcast. But yeah. like you, you, you do things to try to make things more equal, and what you've ended up doing is furthering the gap, um, whether consciously or, or unconsciously. Um, you know, which, like you said, that's what rough does to these long tournaments. Um, maybe that's what par is doing to the average player and the professional. Um, so a way to, you know, like you're talking about trying to figure out a way to even the playing field a bit, would you say? Not even, but you know, like how, because people complain when there's width that it becomes too easy, right? That's, that's what the, when there's what? When, if we have width, then it's too easy yeah. because of the scores they're shooting to par. It's, and that's the hardest. It's so hard talking to club or, or, or to anybody that's like, you're trying to evangelize them into a new way to think about golf course architecture. And it's the width conversation that's toughest. And it's like, I, I remember Brian Schneider was working at a club up in the Northeast and, um, the better players were sort of against the restoration and the restoration took, you know, a group of seven scratch high handicappers. And then a year after the restoration was done, had found out that the high and mid handicappers handicaps had gone down one or two and the scratch golfers had stayed the same or even gotten a little higher, um, themselves. So, he went back to him with this information of like, remember all that talk about how width was width was going to make the golf course easier and taking trees down was going to make the golf course easier. And, and there's like qualitative evidence for uh, the contrary, yet they, they still didn't even accept that. So I don't know, you know, I, I, I don't, I, I think that's the same issue that you would have on, on this larger scale of talking about the PGA Tour is it's just so hard to convince people that, you know, adding width is not going to make the golf course easier, even with evidence right in front of them. Yeah. Yeah. Cause then, cause then width presents a different option, 
or different difficulty, then it's like picking your line becomes part of the totally. equation. So I don't know. We're we're preaching to the gospel here. It's not. I I think that's um, not the right way to go about it. It's got to work in cohesion with what you're doing at the green, um, what you're doing to the entire golf hole. You can't just start mowing random fairways wider and expecting that to be the light bulb moment. Um, It's got to be a well thought out. You've got to know when and where to get wider relative to what's happening at the green and what you're doing at the green, whether you're adding short grass to one side or, you know, adding short grass all around it. Um, Yeah. It's got to be, it's got to be a little more well thought out too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this, uh, this has been good. I, I, I know you got a busy day. You're, uh, the life of a, a young architect. You're just, uh, checking out golf courses. I know I'm, um, well, I just got done. So Eric Iverson, one of Tom's senior associates, uh, he worked, did a little work on his own and I just went and saw for the first time, of course, he had done about 20 miles north of Omaha in Blair, Nebraska, he added like nine or ten holes, and they're really good. I'll send you some pictures. Um, the holes he added are great, and it's it's one of those things. It's like, yeah, it could be wider, and the greens could be mown out to where the original pad is. Um, but they've done a pretty good job of keeping the greens pretty big. So it was really, I was glad to find out that there's some good public golf somewhere around Omaha because we don't have much of it. Um, What's the course called? And now I've got. You know. It's called River Wild, um, in, and it's in Blair, Nebraska. And, the, and the, the holes that he did, it's different than what I've seen from any of these smaller um, rural courses where the nine he added was interspersed with the original nine rather than just tacking nine more holes onto an adjacent property. Um, so it's kind of interesting. He added a couple greens to some of the existing corridors and then added seven or eight new holes. Um, so it's done in a different way than most others around here too. Interesting. That's, uh, that's neat. Yeah. That's, uh, I, I, I got it. We're, I think I'm going to do a big, uh, Nebraska trip for, uh, end of, uh, end of June. So maybe I'll get it, uh, added to the itinerary. Yeah. I don't, you know, if you're coming through Omaha, um, it'd be a place to stop. I got around in two and a half going out so it's easy enough mm-hmm. so uh with uh last question what uh so pebble we're gonna we're gonna have similar thick rough narrow fairways but you know it's a much shorter golf course would you expect the long hitters to thrive again or do you think we're gonna see more variety i think you'll see more variety just based on the length, but they're really small greens, too, at Pebble. I think the greens at Best Page were quite a bit bigger. Um, so I'm, I'll be curious to see how that affects guys. I, you know, maybe somebody who has a really good short game around greens will do well. Um, hey, you just broke your take. Is, is it going to be a bomber? You just, oh, sorry. Where did where did I? Uh, just you talked about short game, and then that's where he broke up. 
Oh, yeah, just um, I, I think somebody with a short game and recovery, you know, I don't know how many greens and regulation people will hit. I'm sure it'll be less than whatever it was. Page. Um, so then, yeah, who's got a good wedge game out of the rough? I, I mean, do you see it being the bomb and gouge or like, will Brooks take driver off every tee? I, I can't imagine well, that. He, You know, there's so many places he can't even hit driver. You know, like you think like one's not a driver hole. Um, eight's not a driver hole. Six isn't a driver hole. Four isn't a driver hole. Um, so you start to think about all the holes that aren't driver holes. You know, even like 15 and 16 aren't driver holes. So you're going to see, I think it takes, it's going to, it's interesting. I, obviously, they're narrowing the fairways because of, of par. You know, they, you can't tell me any any other reason for narrowing them. Um, but I think that we will see a a much wider range of players. I think you're you're. I think the big thing is where it's not going to be a forty yard discrepancy between your shorter hitters and Brooks every hole, and and all of a sudden then that makes up for the long rough. Like you know if if they're both playing from 150 yards from the rough. It's a lot more equal than if one guy is 150 and the other guy's, you know, 190. Yeah, very true. But um, I, I'd, I'd so, rather see it wide, you know, obviously. But It's just so weird when the bunkers are on an island of rough, you know, original bunkers. Um What's really scary is like what they've started doing at Riviera is when they start moving the bunkers to match these professional golf fairway lines. Um, and then you start changing the architecture and the golf course plays for everybody, which is very frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is the, this, it, 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 it's retrofitting golf for the, the absolute smallest percentage of golfers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You end up widening that that gap even further. Uh, and Riviera is the most private of private clubs, so they're they're not comparable to that page or anything like that. But it's um, it's, it's so funny because I know, I played uh, Old Elm with uh, Zach Blair the other day, and um, yeah, like it's you know he was playing, we're playing, and and the thing. We're, we're talking about when we're going around, we, you know, it's all the fall away greens that we kept finding our shots just trickling off the green, you know, and that it, to me, that's like a perfect example of something that, that the, the 18 handicap isn't going to notice, but like if I catch a iron, just a hair thin, it's the difference between having 10 feet for birdie and chipping back up the green. Yeah. Um, yeah, and the fact that is every green out there crown at Old Elm. I mean, I felt like a ton of those greens were just crowns, which that'll do. Like that's what does it. A, a lot of them were. I, I mean, a lot of them are, but then they have a lot of fallaway greens too. You know, where right. it just moves with the natural movement of the ground. Blake, thanks for coming on. Uh, you, everybody can find you on Twitter at Dundee Golf. Uh, you're working with Renaissance as a shaper and, uh, trying to do some, some of your own work, I I imagine in the near future. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. 
trying to find opportunities and um, make golf a little bit better. Yeah, so we'll uh, we'll 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 have you on again. Well, one of these days, we're going to actually talk about your life, you know, instead of just random topics. Nah, nah I like talking about golf better anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for coming on and uh, enjoy the rest of the day uh, road tripping in the sand hills. Thanks, man. Have a good day. You've been listening to the Fried Egg Podcast. We do the digging for you.